The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. So this morning, I just want to continue on this whole series with what God's like. And, and here it is. He cares for the struggling. That's what God's like. He cares for the struggling. God cares for the struggling. So let me read to you a verse from Psalm 68, verse 5. And this gives you some sort of insight as to how God cares for the struggling. And maybe some of you are struggling this morning. Well, he cares for you. But Psalm 68, verse 5 says, this is what God's like. Let me read it from verse 1. It says, let God arise, his enemies be scattered. We used to sing this song when I was a kid. How many of you remember this song? How many of you boys would sing this song and rather than saying, let God arise, his enemies be scattered, sing, let God arise, his enemies be splattered, splattered. Who who did that? Yeah, it's very, oh, you did it as well, sweetheart. Oh, I didn't think butter would melt in your mouth. But anyway, uh, it says, um, let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah. And rejoice before him. And then it gives a description of God. Here it is. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. He's the God who sets the solitary in families. So here it is. God's saying, look, I care for the fatherless. I care for the widows. And I care for the solitary. I care for those who are alone. I care for those that have gone through divorce. I care for those that have been abandoned. I care for those that don't have others around them. I care for them. And that's the God that I am, the one who loves and the one who does something about it. I just love the fact That he says, for those of you that are alone, I make a way for you to be put into families where you won't be alone. I I, I make a way for you. And and, and, and that that brings me to the main point of what I want to say today. And that is that God's care for others is demonstrated through us. Can I just say to you that probably the biggest, the biggest Uh, problem that a lot of people that are not Christians have with God is the fact, and they they accuse him of this all the time, he doesn't care. If God is so powerful, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much pain in the world? And, and, And he might say that he cares, but he really doesn't care because if he did care, he'd fix it all. Isn't that right? How many of you have heard people say that? If he really cared, he'd fix it all. Well, God wants to fix it all through us. And I, and I think that's where the whole thing breaks down, is that we're asking God to do something that he's asked us to do. And he's given us the resources and the power 
to care for the people of this world. Let me tell you what I find fascinating. Turn to Deuteronomy 24, because in Deuteronomy 24, there's just this little insight that shows you how much God cares. So, so the children of Israel are now in the promised land, and, um, and God's giving them the rules and regulations of how to do life better. And so, you know, God says, listen, I'm going to prosper you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's God's prospering. How many of you know that God does want to prosper people? But it's for a purpose. See, this is the problem that we have is sometimes we interpret God's prospering for us as us having more and more and more. But God's always in his mind is, I want to prosper you so that you can fulfill my mandate of caring for people. That's your responsibility to care for people. I'm going to care for people through you. And so here it is. When you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. He's God saying, I, I want to care for the fatherless, the widow, the stranger by using you. And th- then it moves on to the next verse. It says, when you beat your olive trees, you shall... Now, when it says you beat your olive trees, it's not you know, smacking them. It's uh, the way they did it in those days. They would shake the olive tree and when the olives are ripe, they would fall on a cloth on the ground and that's the way they'd gather the olives. And so he goes, uh, when, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. So he's saying, come on, guys, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. But don't just pillage and plunder and take it all for yourself. Leave some to bless others. How many, how many of you have you know, gone into an orchard and, and gathered fruit off a tree? Have you ever done that? You've ever done that? Okay. So what happens is that you go there and you can gather all the fruit you like, but every time you get down off the tree, you'll see stuff that you didn't see when you're up there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? God says, go up there once, gather all you can see, what you don't see, leave it alone. Don't go back another time because what you don't see is for others. It's to bless others. And so God has put this into the scripture. He's put it into the laws of life. That he wants to bless others through us. When we come into the New Testament, Matthew 25, what you find in Matthew 25 is an incredibly amazing passage of scripture because it talks about the end time, it talks about accountability, it talks about coming before God, it talks about giving an account. And And I think if we lived life knowing, that one day we're going to have to give an account. We do it a lot better. How many of you know that one of the ways that we need to see ourselves is as stewards? It all belongs to God. You know, this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, with nothing we've come into the world and with nothing we leave the world. How many of you understand that? How many of you ever seen a baby born? You look into their hands. I can remember when Christelle was born. I was their baby. Ah. And I looked into your hands and you had nothing. (laughs) Nothing. I thought, what's Christelle going to bring me? Nothing. That actually, she brought me so much joy. 
Ah, it was just the most beautiful thing. I got my girl, was Anne's first words when you came into this world, darling. I got my girl. How lovely is that? Anyway, the fact is, I also went to my father's funeral. And when he left this world, empty hands. Can't bring anything, can't take anything. And so in between, we get stuff. But it's not our stuff, it's God's stuff. And, I, and again, you know, we've just got to come to groups with that that it all belongs to God. And one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. And the more that has been given to you, the more accountable you are. Because God hasn't given you the stuff for you just to, all for me, all for me, more for me, more for me. God's given you the stuff to bless and care for the people around you. And so as far as he's concerned is you are responsible to show my care to the people. And you say, what does it say? Well, Matthew 25, here it is, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and the nations will be gathered before him. I find that fascinating that Australia will stand before God and give an account of its wealth. Australia will stand before God and give an account of what it did with the wealth that God gave this country. And, uh, and he will separate them one from the other as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. That's a fascinating verse. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave me drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So here it is right here that God expects us to care for people, the least of these. He expects us to do something for the people around us and show his love. And what's more, he wants to resource and bless us to do this. He wants to give us even more resources in order to bless those around us. And he's going to hold us accountable because there's something about the reflection of his heart is found in how we care for those who are struggling around us. What we do for others, we do as if it were to him and as if it were for him. To him and for him. To him and for him. And can I just say, we've got to be so careful that we don't get caught up in the whole mindset of we need more for us, 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 and, and ignore the needs of others. And I think we can get so caught up with this that we fail to see that if we minister to the needs of others, God will actually provide our needs. 
And I think governments need to hear this because one one of the things that grieved me enormously is that through our last budget, we minimised our giving to the poor and suffering of this world. Instead of increasing, we minimised this because they don't get what I'm about to tell you, that if you care for others, God will make sure that you will always have enough for your own needs. You say, what does it say that? Okay, turn to Psalm 41. Psalm 41, five things that God will do for you when you care for others. The only problem is this, is that God will do it for you after you care for others, not before. Hello? And a lot of us are waiting for it to happen before, when in actual fact it'll happen after. This is, let me read it to you. Psalm 41, the first three verses. This is what it says. It says... Blessed is he or she who considers the poor. That word poor literally means those who are helpless, those who are powerless, those who are struggling. Okay, so it's not just those that don't have money. It's those that are struggling, those that need help in all sorts of different areas. Blessed is the person who considers those who are struggling. And then this is what it says. The Lord then will deliver him in times of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive and he will be blessed on the earth and you will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness and will sustain him on his sickness. Here it is, five things that God does to those that care for the poor and the helpless and the struggling. Number one, he will deliver you when you're in trouble. I love that because some of us, we don't help because we feel that we're in trouble. And God says, you help and I'll deliver you out of your trouble. How awesome is that? That's a promise. Second thing God says is, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you from your enemies. I'm going to protect you from those that, that, that want to destroy you. I'm going to protect you from those forces that will try to push you down. I'm going to be your protector. I love that. He's going to be our deliverer. He's going to be our protector. And then it goes on and he says, and you know what? I'm going to prosper you. You're going to be blessed on the whole earth. God's going to prosper us. But he says, and, and, but a lot of us are waiting for the prosperity before we give the help. And God says, no, first you help and then I'll prosper you. It's like the step of faith. It's like, can you walk in faith? Oh, can I just tell you? I just gave you the financials of our church. And some of you are sitting there and saying, wow, you guys are blessed. When we started this journey 20 years ago, we had nothing. We had debts. We had bills. We had all sorts of things. And God spoke to me and said, what are you going to do for missions? Now that you owe $1.8 million, what are you going to do for missions? And do you know what we did as a church? Get hold of this. And I... And I honor our board. I honor the people that are the directors of our church, that are people that walk in faith. They said, come on, let's increase. And you know what? When we opened up this building, we increased our giving 500%. Before we built this building, we were giving 50,000 a year to missions. And then the following year, we gave $250,000 to missions. And you know what? God paid our bills. 
The amazing thing is that, is that our giving went through the roof from supernatural sources. Now, 20 years on, we're able to say we've given, what, 7 million to missions, 45 missionaries, but our building is paid for. You know, we've got money in the bank, but we, we, we don't stop giving. We continue giving it, and we're doing new projects and, and giving it to the community, and God's prospered us as a church. And I've given you the report today to show you the blessing of God. Why is that? Because because the bulk is given out to bless others. See, for us and for me as a pastor, I just don't preach this. I do this. And I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of preachers is this. It's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to do it. Do you have enough faith to do it? Or do you, or do you only have faith to preach it? My attitude is, man, I'm going to preach it because it's part of our lifestyle, not because it's a good thing to do. It's part of our lifestyle. He'll prosper you. Then he says he'll rescue you from your enemies and he'll restore you when you're sick. I love that. Rescue from your enemies and restore you when you're sick. Incredible promises that you can claim. Go home, read about this and start seeing what you can do. And don't ever make the excuse, but, 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 but I can't because, 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 and make the list out. You can. And when you start, whatever list that you've made, God will deal with. Whatever list that you've made of reasons why not, God will deal with. Get, get hold. I love the scripture, Proverbs 19, verse 17. He, he, read this one with me. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay what is given. And how many of you know that when God repays, he always repays with interest on top? How many of you know that? That when God repays, he will just do that. So whatever you do, don't, don't begin to say, I can't afford to care for the poor. What is that? Come on, you can't afford not to help the poor. There's got to be something. And, and parents, can I just say to you, one of the greatest things that you can teach your kids is to help the poor, to feed the poor, to give to the poor. I give them finances to give to the poor. Help them with their pocket money so that they say, look, this is your pocket money, but what are you going to do with all your pocket money? You're going to spend it on yourself or you're going to bless others? And give them that whole option to, to, to train them in a way where they're able to go through life with open eyes so that they can help others and help the poor and help the suffering and do something in this world. Do you know... The thing is this, that the heroes that we make, the real, the real, real heroes are those that help others. So, you know, if, if I were to say to you, no, who are the real heroes? Come on. The thinking person wouldn't call a movie star a hero. What sort of a hero is a movie star, for goodness sake? An actor, an actress. What sort of a hero? They're, they're just doing a job, getting incredibly paid for it, but they're not a hero. I think the, the thinking person calls heroes people that actually give their lives to help others. And so one of the great heroes of our world, and if, if, I guarantee if I were to do a survey to say, who, who are the great heroes in your world? I guarantee that a whole majority of people put down Mother Teresa. I guarantee it. Why, why is that? Because there's something so noble about living a life that helps others. There's something noble about that. There's something that just elevates people like that. And again, you know, like if I were to ask you, of all the churches in Australia, which is the church 
that most Australians really respect. I know that over the past couple of years, some, some stuff has come to taint that. But I know when I was a kid growing up, the Sallys were always incredibly respected. And what I find funny is that, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, they had to do an advertising campaign to say, you can also worship with us. Because most people only knew them as an organisation that helped others rather than a church. And uh, that pendulum can swing. But can I just say that William Booth, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the great heroes in in my life, This, this gospel preacher that decided... People cannot put Jesus in their heart if their bellies are empty. Let's first fill their belly and then we can fill their heart. And that was his whole mindset. And so he started feeding the poor and the Salvation Army came up out of, out of that whole concept. And, uh, and even today, they are known as the people that are respected because they help others. You know, what's, what's, what's amazing is that there's a guy called Everett Swanson. That post, most of you have probably never heard of Everett Swanson. But Everett Swanson started an organization called Compassion. And you've all heard of Compassion, but you've not heard of Everett Swanson. But he, he came, uh, he was in Korea during the, 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 the war, and then he went back and he saw all these children that had lost their parents and were living in poverty, and he decided somebody needs to do something about that. And he started, and because he started, Compassion started as well. And, uh, you know, you've got people like Lester Sumrall that started Feed the Hungry because he saw a need, cared for people, and God's provided. And it's become a huge organization now that feeds hungry people. Uh, Robert Pierce, another uh, evangelist that was preaching the gospel but saw that there were needs everywhere and people living in poverty started World Vision. And they're all Christians. These people are all Christians. William Booth, Everett Swanson, uh, Robert Pierce, Lester Sumrall, Mother Teresa, all Christians that were motivated out of compassion And out of this understanding that God wants to show his care to the world by using us to be his hands of care. Why don't you just to look at your hands for a second. Can you do that? And I want you to see these hands. And most of you don't have anything in your hands, but you do. You've got care written all over your hands. Care, compassion. What can you do to show care for somebody this week? What can you do to bless somebody this week? What you can do to help somebody this week? You know, just don't make an excuse. Can I just say to you, don't make an excuse. Do something to care for somebody this week. And what happens is this, is that what you're looking at then becomes God's hands. Not just your hands. God's hands. Now look at your hands again and say, these are God's hands. That's so powerful when you begin to look at your hands and say, these are God's hands. And for you to understand that the way God interprets, the way the world interprets God is through the way we do things. The way we do things. Dan, can you just come? I want you to play Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Dan, did you know that you can play Amazing Grace by just using the black keys? Mm. Huh? I did. Did you know that? 
Now, you know what's fascinating about the Black Keys is that most Negro spiritual songs are played on the Black Keys. Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. How does that go? Black Keys. They're all Black Keys. But you know, the thing that touches me the most about Amazing Grace, that It's written with the music of Negro spirituals. How many of you know who wrote Amazing Grace? A man called John Newton. John Newton got saved, gloriously saved. But before he got saved, how many of you know what he did? He was the captain of slave ships. Slave ships. There's a theory, here's the theory, that when John Newton got saved, the thing that haunted him the most were the songs of grief and pain that were coming out of the bottom of his ships. And the theory is that the tune of Amazing Grace were actually African Negro grief songs. That was the tune. Then he put words to the tune that changed everything. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And John Newton, when he got saved, dedicated his life to care for others and was a huge influence on a man called William Wilberforce. Who's ever heard of William Wilberforce? And William Wilberforce was used by God to abolish slavery in the United Kingdom. But it came because someone, someone said, now that my life has been changed, I'm going to make a difference in other people's lives. I've got a calling to do something. God wants to save you to save the world. God wants to save you to make a difference in someone's life. God wants to save you so you can save others. And this morning, I just want us to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And I want you to say, God, show me what you want me to do with my life. Show me what you have called me to accomplish with my life. I don't want my life to be a life that's self-centered, a life that lives only for me, but a life that's able to help others. Can we stand together? Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.